Turn in your Bibles with me first to 1 Kings 17. First Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> the reading here for the Old Testament reading is verse 8 through verse 16, and then we will add to this reading our continuation in Matthew's gospel, where we'll pick up the final three verses of Matthew 10, which are in perfect, beautiful, expositional harmony with our Old Testament reading. Let us pray. Most gracious God, as we come upon the occasion of the public reading of Scripture and its preaching, we ask you for help in the pulpit, in the pew. May the words of my mouth, O Lord, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God. And we pray that your congregation would indeed recognize your voice the voice of the master, that they would recognize your authority speaking to them here in the word, and that by your spirit and by faith and by their union with Christ, they would take this word as the word of their shepherd, their king, their lord, the captain and lover of their soul, and that they would cherish it as the great treasure it is to them, and Father, I pray that you would help one and all receive these things tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Kings 17, verse 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Matthew 10.
Verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is God's word. There are four quick things we need to see in the visit of the prophet Elijah to the house of the widow of Zarephath. And these four things are basically the bones of our entire gospel lesson tonight. And I should just go ahead, perhaps, and just state what this gospel lesson is right up front. That might help working it into your heart, having heard it first. So it is this. In a world often hostile to the children of God, which is the subject of Matthew 10, in a world often hostile to the children of God, the Lord Jesus Christ puts his thumb on the scale in favor of his church. Now, what does it mean to put your thumb on the scale? Well, if you have a local butcher and you go to him and say, I want a pound of hamburger, if he's a rascal, he is going to secretly put his thumb on the scale where no one can see it, pressing down on the scale so he can give you just 13 ounces of beef and charge you for 16. He is favoring himself. It's unethical. It's wrong. It's ungodly. But it happens. Jesus is doing something very similar. But it is not unethical. (laughs) Because one, it is not a business transaction. Two, it's Jesus who's doing it. And three, he's not making a secret out of it. He's telling the world in three verses at the end of Matthew 10 that he's going to do this this way. He is saying out loud, yes, show kindness to all men. But if you show kindness to my prophets, if you show kindness to my righteous ones, to my lowly students, my disciples, then I will give you the same reward I have prepared for them, my prophets, my righteous ones, my students, my disciples. Jesus is putting his thumb on the scale. He is saying the good deeds he will give the greatest attention to in the world are the ones done to his servants. So he is showing favor to a special group of people, his people, which is excellent pastoral care at the end of a long discourse on the hostility of the world. It's an enormous encouragement, these three verses, to the apostles, the original 12, to the elders that will start following them around in the book of Acts, to you and I, who are the offspring of Christ in this age. An enormous encouragement that Jesus is elevating us, elevating us before the world under the banner of his loving favoritism 
That's what you get in these three verses. Now back to 1 Kings 17 for a moment. And then we'll come back to Matthew 10. Four things we need to see in the widow's hospitality to Elijah. First, this Gentile widow from the land of Sidon showed Elijah, the prophet of God, a great kindness because he was a prophet. She fed him the very last of her provisions during a famine. As a Gentile, she is not yet a worshiper of Yahweh when Elijah shows up. But she acknowledged Elijah's service to Yahweh when she said in verse 12, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. And the conversation goes. Second, the widow's willingness to show a great kindness to the prophet is connected to the prophet's announcement to her that Yahweh will reward her for kindness shown to Yahweh's prophet. This is in verse 14. Elijah said, For thus says the Lord, Yahweh, for thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Remember, there's a famine. No wonder she's ready to just take her son and die after their last supper. Third, the widow of Zarephath is then rewarded. She is then rewarded for her great kindness to the prophet. The text says in verse 15, she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Her reward, of course, is the miraculous supply of flour and oil. She made one cake for the prophet and ended up making many, many cakes for herself and her son. What an arrangement under the goodness of the Lord. But that is not her only reward. The widow's son later dies from a severe illness. It's in the very next paragraph, which we didn't read. Elijah carries the boy upstairs to the roof, and he cries out to God in prayer. Yahweh hears Elijah's prayer, and the boy's life returns to him. But not even this is the widow's final reward. At the end, the woman comes to faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true and living God. This is in verse 24, at the end of the chapter. After her son is alive again, she says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Jesus in Luke 4 points to this very widow. And he says to the leaders of Israel, there were many widows in Israel. But the Lord sent Elijah only to the widow of Sidon. And it says that the scribes and the lawyers got furious with Jesus when he said that. So here, again, are the first three things in brief. Number one, a widow showed a prophet great kindness. Number two, her willingness to show that kindness was bolstered by the prophet's announcement of God's generosity to those who do show such kindness. And number three, after showing the great kindness to the prophet, the widow received a prophet's reward. 
life, and then more life. And she even got a taste of resurrection life, didn't she? She even saw that his God was the living God, and she got the best illustration, her dead son back in her arms, kissing her neck, saying her pet name that he has with his mom. She receives a prophet's reward. What then is the fourth thing? Now, you probably thought I forgot because I forgot a song this morning. (laughs) I am forgetting more things these days. And I, I even got rid of my Twitter account, so I don't know what's happening. What's the fourth thing? I can't remember. No. It, it is this. The whole situation unfolds the way it does because the Lord determined it would unfold this way. Remember the, what we heard very early in that reading? Verse 9, the Lord speaks to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. The widow never gets a letter from the Lord. The prophet never says she's commanded. He just makes the command. But why has the Lord told Elijah this before he even gets there? I have commanded her to feed you. In the providential decree of Yahweh, this is going to happen. It will not fail. The whole arrangement was pre-planned by the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is discipling his prophet, Elijah. The Lord wants Elijah to learn that everything Elijah will need to serve the Lord in a hostile, barren, desolate world will be provided for him. There is a famine. Ahab is king of Israel. Jezebel is his queen, and Jezebel, well, she's a Jezebel. Baal worship is everywhere. Elijah needs some encouragement, and this is it. A Gentile widow whom the Lord has commanded to feed Elijah means God will provide Elijah. God will protect church. God will guard. God will defend You don't need to slacken and loosen your obedience to God. You don't need to slacken and loosen your obedience to the fourth commandment. You don't need to slacken and loosen your obedience to the sixth. You don't have to slacken and loosen. God will provide. He will provide and protect, guard and defend his people, and he will often provide. This is both of our texts tonight speaking together. He will often provide by people who are rewarded by the Lord for supporting the Lord's servants because they recognize the Lord's business in his servant. This is not about random acts of kindness to Christians. They recognize the Lord in his servants. We'll see that more vividly in Matthew in a moment. But they're going to go and spread news that they've been rewarded for serving the servants of Yahweh just like Rahab did. And as they spread that news, not only will that attract more regard and more care to the Lord's servants, but that news, that good news, will also make many hearts open the door to Yahweh, to his son, to the son, Lord Jesus Christ, 
because they have heard how much he loves and comforts and cares and provides for his own people. And that's how the gospel will come to many. They will hear about the grace, generous God, and they will want to know his name. And many will come to saving faith in Christ. And many have. Now back to that passage in Matthew 10. Just to confirm to you that Matthew 10, 40 through 42 is not envisioning a scenario where somebody unknowingly holds open a door for a pastor and then they get home and they have the biggest tomato they've ever seen in their garden. That is not what this is about at all. And we can even confirm it in the text because there's something kind of hidden a little bit in the English translation. But the phrase, in the name of, is repeated three times in 41 and 42. So to make that Greek more vivid, we would translate it this way. The one who receives a prophet in the name, the one who receives a righteous person in the name, the one who receives my disciple, my little one, in the name, it's an idiom. It means because they recognize in the one that they are receiving that they be- that one belongs to me because of their office. Disciple, righteous one, prophet. So these aren't accidental kindnesses. These are kindnesses because of the association of the prophet, the righteous one, the disciple with Jesus Christ. And so they may be ignorant of the whole doctrine of Christ, but they've only heard in their heart good news about Jesus Christ, how caring he is for his body, his church, how loving and providing and protecting and keeping and generous he is. And so they say, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not embarrassed by Christians. I'm going to go help them. And the Lord sees that and blesses it because it's from him. He has commanded it just like he commanded the widow to feed Elijah. So verse 10, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 40, we hear Jesus say, whoever receives you, or whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Now the first thing to notice with verse 40 is that Jesus is referring to the Father at the end of the verse. And his point is that those who recognize me for who I am, that I am the one sent from the Father, so they receive me because I'm from the Father, they will also get the Father. And by extension, those who recognize my servants, prophets, the righteous ones, disciples, Because they belong to me, not only will they receive the one who belongs to me, they will receive me. So that's the wonderful logic of communion of Christ with his people. But there's something else about verse 40. These words primarily are encouragement for his apostles 
and by extension, for all who share his word. Even though there will be rejection, even though there will be hostility, even from family, we see in the immediate paragraph before tonight's, hostility and rejection there too. Even though all of that is true, there will be those in the world, Jesus is saying in verse 40, who will receive his apostles, who will receive his righteous ones, who will receive his disciples, his pastors, his elders, his lowliest students. And when those servants of his are received, Christ will regard it as such a kindness to himself, he will count them as receiving himself. Because his servants were received because of their association with him. This is to be an encouragement to all his servants, that he is elevating them before the eyes of the world as receiving favors from him. So in verse 40, our Lord Jesus is encouraging his disciples by making them conscious of his mysterious oneness with them. They can, be very, they can very much expect to be as effective in the world as he has been effective in the world because he will make it happen. Now, if you look at 41 and 42, one of the things we should notice right off in 41 and 42 is there is a descent of rank, a descent of rank. First, a prophet is the subject. Then a righteous person is the subject. Then a lowly disciple is the subject. So lowly of a disciple, he does not even own water for himself. Do you see that? So there's a descent of rank. And the purpose of our Lord in setting out this descent of rank this way is to make a wonderful point that even the lowliest act of kindness, giving water to somebody who has none because they belong to Jesus, even that lowliest act of kindness to one who holds the lowliest title in his kingdom, little child, that will not be overlooked by the king of this kingdom. Jesus is announcing how generous and good of a king he is. And this is a very striking way to elevate everyone who is in service to him. Simply put, he is the best boss ever. So let us understand what he is saying in verse 41 and 42. It is chiefly for those who will experience derision in the world for following him. That's the main purpose for what he says here. As John Calvin said, he justly elevates his people to a high rank before the world so they may be the objects of peculiar regard and esteem. And under the same point, then, we are to see the emphasis Jesus places on the greatness of reward that belongs to his prophets, the greatness of reward that belongs to the righteous ones, and the greatness of the reward that belongs to his disciples. They have such a great reward coming that Jesus makes it an alluring bargain chip before the whole world of men who are tempted to hate his servants. This not only is an encouragement to his servants to endure to the end, it is in fact a summons to all men everywhere to show kindness to his servants and join their ranks. But these words in 41 and 42 
<clears throat> they are also indirectly our Lord luring in the world to look more closely at his kingdom. If someone is sitting on the fence in their disposition towards the church of Christ, if somebody is lukewarm but in the church of Christ, if somebody is hot towards hostility and then cold and they waver and are double-minded about Jesus Christ and his kingdom, these words are particularly helpful for them as well. Jesus is saying, serve my servants. Serve my church officers. Listen to their word. Receive them. He is saying, receive and serve my disciples. Adorn my body on the earth, the church of Jesus Christ, and you will be rendering service unto me, and I will break your double-mindedness and set you in the constancy of receiving me. So if 10 years from now you find yourself far from God, absorbed in the habits of the world, if 10 years from now you find yourself deeply committed to a life of sin, then remember this three-verse reading at the end of Matthew 10. Jesus Christ is showing you at the end of this chapter the way back to him. Receive those who represent him in the world. Start there. If it's 10 years from now and you are deep deep in sin and animosity towards the church. Call a pastor. Call a Christian uncle. Go speak to a lowly disciple of Jesus. Ask them to tell you again about their king and his great kingdom, what he has done by his blood, what he has given to his people. Ask them about his promise to reward them for their faith in him. Jesus is showing even those folks who have wandered far from him a way back. The way back is to receive those he has sent. Receive his servants, his pastors, his elders. Receive them and you will receive them. Beloved, this is simply a, this is a hard statement for some. But Jesus is presenting it as good news. There is no salvation ordinarily outside the church of Jesus Christ. Receive his church, and he will come to you, and you will soon find that you have received him. The church isn't your savior, but it is. It is the very house of God where the savior ministers. There's a wonderful text that I didn't read with you. I want to just share it with you right now in closing. There are so many texts in the book of Acts and in the Pauline epistles where we see references to men and women who actually did the very thing described in the last three verses of Matthew 10. But here is one from Paul about a man named Onesiphorus. 2 Timothy 1, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me 
and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know how all the service he rendered at us in Ephesus. Will we allow ourselves to think like an apostle? Twice he said, may the Lord have mercy on Onesiphorus. And between those two statements of asking for mercy to this man, Paul stuffs the middle with declarations of Onesiphorus' receiving of Paul's ministry, receiving of Paul's life. Paul recognizes that the king of the kingdom in which he is a servant gives himself in mercy to those who receive his servants because they recognize in the king's servants the king himself. And they can't climb to heaven to give Jesus a glass of water. They can't climb to heaven to let Jesus into their house and ask him to speak through his own lips the truths of God. So they receive and welcome his servants, his church officers, even his lowliest disciples who share the word. Beloved, let us not think that Jesus Christ has spilled his rewards accidentally all over the earth like some child who has dumped his Legos willy-nilly and cannot even tell where they're all spilled. Our Lord Jesus has told us right here, and Paul has confirmed it in his remarks about Onesiphorus, that the grace and love and generosity of Jesus Christ comes to those who receive his servants, even the lowliest of them, the little child who doesn't have their own water, but they come to that one even because they recognize that he belongs to Jesus. Our Lord has told us where his bounty is given, not willy-nilly. Praise God, this is an elevation of his lowly ones to encourage us that he will provide for us and that he touches the world through us. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We praise you for the truth of your word. We thank you, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit is the one who so gently, effectively, persistently presses it upon our heart and conscience. Father, help us receive these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.